This is an ohs.com.au production. Welcome to episode 56 of the Australian Health and Safety Business Podcast. I'm Brendan Tarazzi, the host of the show, and today I'm joined with Tim Lowry from SH Services. Hi, Tim. How are you going? How's things? Good, mate. Give us the elevator pitch. What do you do? <laughs> so we're um, specialist friable contractors. We also dabble in lead remediation, contaminated land, uh, methamphetamine labs are becoming a thing now. We start to see a lot of activity in that space. Yep. But friable is still our core business and it's, it's what we geared up for and it's what we're good at. So yep. still in a big way, 90% friable. So as a like a friable asbestos removalist, you said methamphetamine, is it is that like a very short jump across? I'll dig into that a little oh. bit later, but I'm just curious. Yeah, to- yeah it's, it's, look, it's, it's different methodologies. You're dealing with chemists, you're dealing with chemicals, you're dealing with a lot of variables. Mm. But it, essentially, it is still just labour-intensive yep. detail cleaning work. Cleaning up somebody else's crap. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So we, I mean, and it's funny because a lot of these, I know we're sort of a little bit off topic, but um, a lot of these places that, I mean, your the traditional thought of a methamphetamine lab or a clandestine lab is a dirty, you know, sort of divey place. But some of the um, projects that come across are like million dollar apartments. It's not yeah, right. what you think, you know? Yep. I guess they have to be um, reasonably organized and like yeah. it's almost, it almost would become like a lab, I guess. I mean, it is a lab, but almost yeah. run like a legal uh, pharmaceutical company or something. Is that what you're saying? Or yeah, well, they usually they're, they're sort of flash in the pan operations. Okay, so they'll go in, they'll secure a property. You know, they'll do a bunch of cooks there, and then they'll either leave it and go, or they'll pack up and go to the next spot. Yeah, right. Quite creative with how they do it. But, so, uh, so, they, so they don't clean up their mess. Not always. Sometimes they yeah. get caught. Yeah, right. And then, then you're there, you know, for that reason. And so who who would, I mean, with that, you don't have to specifically name, but is it the government that's employing you for that kind of work or? No, so it's usually, so we'd be engaged by property managers, real estates or owners directly. Yeah. They get given an improvement notice or the, the council, you know, puts conditions on them prior to releasing or, yep. or you know, so sometimes, I mean, they could be perfectly good apartments, but you've got to go and strip them out of all soft furnishings and everything porous. Oh, wow. Uh, it sort of gives them a clean slate to work with it again, but they've got to do it. Once once they become aware of it, which is through police intervention or whatever, then they have a duty of care to sort it out. Yeah, right. Jeez, I can imagine as a, uh, as a landlord or a property owner, owner that must be a big shock uh, when you've rented yeah. out a place and then um, you've realised that it's, you know, being used for a purpose that they weren't expecting. Yeah. And look, I mean, New Zealand's sort of leading the way as far as that sort of part of the industry with testing, with all these sort of things. But Australia's still really far behind. Yeah. Um, They're purely just response incidents. It's not like they're actively out there trying to search for positive meth tests and properties. Um, But when they do become aware of it, like I said, they've got a duty care to sort it out. Yeah, I mean, I guess with a if it's a flash in the pan um, operation, it must be pretty tough to. And Australia is a lot bigger than New Zealand as well, so there's a lot of space yeah. here. Must must be like those uh, whack a mole things where you think you've got one, and then the one yeah, another, another one. one pops up next door. So, and look, it's it's a problem that's not going away. I remember when I first 
started getting interested in that sort of, you know, part of the industry. I studied in my own time. I read national wastewater um, reports. Yep. So where they have, I think it's 50 or 60 locations across Australia, and they've been testing the wastewater for some time now, gathering data. And a lot of the regional areas and the places where they're getting really high readings, mm. I mean, this is where they're doing it, right? They're doing it in the cities, but they're more so doing it where their market is, which is out in the regional areas. Yeah, wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. wow. So so tell us a little bit about your history, Tim, because um, as I understand it, you're like one of the best, if not the best in the field of friable asbestos removal. How, how did you get into, like, how does one get into such a thing? It's Yeah, that, so both, so with asbestos and lead, both of my first experiences were really negative ones. I've, I learned what asbestos was through accidental exposure, Oh, wow. uh, working in demolition, yeah. So I immigrated from New Zealand as a 20-year-old. I was um, I left school. I went to the Navy in New Zealand. And so I sort of had that um, regimented lifestyle already. Yep. Uh, and when I came here um, doing demolition, sort of just kicking rocks for the first couple of years, um, we got accidentally exposed on a site. And then I remember seeing um, a company doing a friable enclosure one day, and I was just really interested mm. by it. But then, yeah, funnily enough, I got exposed to it. I had to, I got pulled through. I got X-rayed and spirometries and all these sort of things. And when I look back at it now, you know, what happened to me was completely preventable. It yep. was 100% preventable. And that's sort of been a bit of a driving force and a passion, you know, yep. throughout my time because I've worked. So I'm probably coming close to 15 years now yep. in the Fribal sort of game. Um, but I've worked with a lot of different companies, a cross section of companies, good ones, bad ones, big ones, small ones. And so, you know, from that sort of show hopping around gun for hire stuff, um, I sort of figured out what was a good operation, how you can run it lean and mean and not have to have all of these phenomenal overheads to be yeah. able to produce a good product. And, um, we do, we, we pride ourselves in our product where we always have, and that's just how our customers end up finding us is that they hear about us doing good work and they call. Yeah. So really simple and organic. Mm. It comes down to that. Um, it sounds like you positioned yourself as a quality operator and you attract yeah. people that want a quality job. And yeah, cause there's it's- quite a few, I mean, I guess every industry has it, but there's quite a few, you know, sort of cowboys around oh, as well. Of- they cut corners and don't do the job properly. And, and, and it's I've hard to compete them. against those people on price, right? Yeah, so. and, you know, I've seen them come and go, come and go, come and go. You can sort of see the writing on the wall uh, when you come across or when we're pricing against these kind of operators. Um, I mean, we're still a small operation, you know, fundamentally. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we're trying to control our growth and we're trying to pick our clients and pick our projects because um, there's a certain element of monotony and doing the same kind of projects all the time. And it's very hard to keep people stimulated and keen because a shortage in the labor market we have done for a long time. And, you know, we're addressing this directly through training. Yep. But um, when you're really investing in guys and you're teaching them a lot, different variations of removals and methodologies, et cetera, et cetera, um, that can also put a lot of strain on them as well, you know. And and is it so so for the – I guess for a person looking to get into the removal industry, what's the ideal background? Would they have been someone like yourself that's, you know, prior, you know, they've been involved with the construction industry or what, like when you're training, Um, when you're training people, what stands out for you as someone who's going to be good at, at, good at this role? 
Yeah. You, it's, that's a good question. It's really, and I can just pick them now. I don't know. I don't haven't been able to pinpoint exactly what it is, but I think people who have a perfectionist nature, yep. you know, if you've, if you've got a um, regimented or perfectionist kind of nature about you, you make a good friable removalist because mm. it is all about the fine details and about the little things that make a big difference. Yeah. Uh, when we get guys coming from demolition and construction, usually they're a little bit rough and they need to be trained into, yep. you know, tribal mindset. Yep. But that doesn't always, doesn't always work. Some mm. people are never going to be good at it because it's yep. too rough. So the details count in other words. Yeah. You do need to have a very sort of, yeah, yep. strict, strict, um, personality to try to do well at it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of guys who come in, they spend one year and then after a year they burn out and that's it. You never see them again. And then I know guys who you least expect and they're still there 10 years later. Oh, okay. And so what, what do you think is a good strategy for sustainability in this business? I think, I mean, we're becoming more and more risk averse. Yep. with our contracts and with things that we do, we're backing ourselves up with a lot more paperwork than what we used to. Okay. We're planning things in the preliminary stage a lot more stringently than we used to. Yep. We used to be able to just, you know, head on out, mobilize to a job and just see what happens. But now we sort of know every step of the way where we are Yeah. because it's just as easy to lose money too. You know, we can lose yeah, money right. just as quick as we can make it. So, so when you say lose money, you mean like you miss... Uh, understand, like, if you don't prepare enough for what's involved with the mm. job, then you can miss a step. Is that what you're you're referring to? Or? No, more so to do with, I mean, how hard it is to get a clearance. Um, gotcha. I mean, yep. we go in with all the best intentions, yet everything's going to go according to plan, but then you might have power, electricity issues. You might have variations and things pop up. You might have extra stuff that wasn't accounted for. You have um, terminology in the contracts and the quotes that gets misinterpreted on the other end. And so yeah. there are a lot of, there's a lot of different things that can happen, which can make a, a project, a project negative, you know? And so for your client base, then do you tend to have customers that I, I don't like, I'm just guessing here, but they're say, I don't know, mid tier construction companies that have got a, a pipeline of work and then your I don't know, they, they bring you and SH services back to do the gig or is it is it more one-off no, stuff? No, it's or? still it is still quite competitive. Yep. Uh it's I mean, even with tendering, I mean, we're not very strong in the tendering. We we tend to stick to our um proven relationships and the yep. customers we have war with, repeat business. Yep. So we have clients who have been with us since day dot and they just keep calling and we give them a good job every time. Yep. Whereas with tendering it's there's a lot of um i don't know there's a lot of smoke and mirrors yeah we don't really like getting into that we don't want to try and commit to things and then not be able to deliver on them we don't want to you know tell stories and make things out to be worse than they are yeah you know but there's a lot of contractors out there and that's exactly what they do i mean we've got contractors we price against who use slander as a tactic to win projects you know we don't want to get involved in that we just want to turn up do a good job people call us afterwards and say all right thanks thanks for your help and we'll tell everyone about you. That's the kind of customer we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah, that's right because it's, uh, I mean, I think all industries have this these days that, you know, at one point in the life cycle you're an innovator, so you're doing things that other people aren't doing or can't do and then the market catches up and then suddenly it's all about price and it's a race to the bottom and, that's yeah. just not that's just not good for anyone really because no. clients don't get a good job the people doing the work aren't getting 
paid as they should be and it just gets harder and harder. Well, one, one other thing I've sort of learning now, you know, the more I mature in this sort of industry, the more I sort of advocate a collaborative effort. So, yep. I mean, I'm happy to talk to any of my competition. I'm happy to team up. I'm happy to send them leads if we can't service them. Um, but there still is this element of like us versus them out there, yep. which is sad because we are all doing the same thing. And if we're, I mean, I'm involved with the associations now as well, industry associations and, and it's healthy, you know, collaborative effort is yeah. kind of what we're after. Um, we can't do every single job that lands on our desk. You know, we can't always find the gear, all the men, all the resources, and we need to lean on our network for that. Yeah. And I mean, we've got, I've got existing relationships with companies in Perth and Brisbane and Sydney, and we help each other out. We need capital for a job. We're in Perth and they send us capital for a job. When they need men for a job, we'll fly guys over there. We yeah, help right. each other out. Yes. It's, it's just a lot better. That's awesome. Well, it's, it's kind of that idea that um, I guess it's an abundance mentality where you say, there's enough work for everyone, and if I try and be stingy and hold on to everything, it, it, mm. you're kind of doing the opposite, right? Your work flows away from you, whereas if you're collaborative and you go everyone can win out of this, then it just keeps flowing. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, we we want to upgrade the industry. We've For too long we've been associated with dirty demolition, yep. you know, just the ragtag crew, and we, we're trying to separate ourselves from that because we are a specialist trade. Oh, hundred uh, percent. I mean, you, you have to be yeah. so professional at what you do to be, uh, to do a good job, I would imagine. So. Right. And there's no apprenticeship, you know, yep. you can only learn on the tools. There's one way of, of learning and that's organic on yep. the ground. Yep. So, I mean, and, and if you make a mistake, it's like yeah, pretty, it's pretty possible. severe consequences. Right. So particularly with Friable. Yeah. And I've, I've, I mean, not with this company, but you know, I've been in enclosures when they've collapsed. I've had fires break out outside. I've had people fall through roofs down onto the concrete, you know, yep. eight meters. I mean, we've, we've had people kidney failure from heat exhaustion and, and, you know, all of these sort of things have happened in my career. I've seen some really nasty things and mm. a lot of the time it's preventable, but um, yeah, there's a certain, there is a certain level of professionalism that you don't, you're not going to learn it in any other trade. Yep. It's an yep. isolated job. We spend 10 hours a day with full face masks on. It's not a social job. You've really got to like yourself to be able to, hmm. to be able to handle that day in, day out. So uh, COVID's been easy for you, mate, with little face masks walking around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, anything, it's, if anything, the public are used to seeing people in suits now, so we're not getting, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're not getting video, you know, you know, videos over the fence type thing anymore. Yep, 100%. Now, mate, um, I understand at the moment you're in northern New South Wales. I was really keen to get that story, why you're up there and, and what's mm. happening. So, yeah, we are. We're doing the uh, flood recovery program. It's still in the early stages. We have been going hard, though. Um, we've run one of our clients out of work and closed out probably the best part of 40 jobs. So that's wow. 40 more houses that are being reinstated, 40 more people that are not going to be displaced or 40 more families that are not going to be displaced. So we have um, we have been enjoying it just for that reason, you know, being able to make a difference for some so, people. So who gets you up there? Is that you've gone up on your own back to help or does somebody yep. somebody invited, you know, a, I don't know, a government department or something invited you up or tell yeah, me the, so there's, there's the background why you're there? Yeah, there's a few different places where we pull work from. Um, at the moment, it's all private insurers and insurer builders. Got you. Um, the main, like when public works and John's Ling, who are doing the 
big, the whole program in its entirety, major loss. Once they get to town, you know, we'll be working for them. So will everyone else. But at the moment, it's been private insurers and insurer builders. They're the quickest to react. Mm-hmm. So what's an insurer builder? Is that someone that insure, self-insured or? No, no. So what they are is each insurance company has a panel of suppliers. Got you. Um, yeah. And they'll have, you know, I don't know how many, depends how big they are, but they'll have pre-qualified insurer builders who manage project, manage the whole process for the, for the recovery. I see. I see. And then so your relationship is with the insurer panel. builder and then, and then they bring. The insurance bring- company would never engage us directly. They're always going to go through an insurer builder. Yeah, because you're just one. I'm assuming you're just one part of the process, and there might be multiple multiple things that need to be taken care of. So it sounds like you'd be um, absolutely flat out then. Yeah, we have been. We're having a yeah. short break at the moment because everyone needs to recuperate. Yeah, you know they've yeah. always have been working from dark to dark, six days a week. You yeah, know, wow, nonstop. Yeah, um, we're trying to close out as many jobs as we can because, like I said, that's you know, more families back in homes and out of dongers and out of mm. caravan. Yeah. And I mean, this is for me, this is my third major flood event. You know, every time there's an event, we end up on the ground, but uh, in terms of the management of it, I think this is going to be the best, the, well, the best organized one so far. That okay. I've been on. Mm. Do, why, why do you think that is it? Because big... it, yeah, the insurance companies are getting better and better at it. Yeah, well, they have plenty um, of experience, I guess, now. Yeah, and they've gathered data over the years. I mean, I'll give you an example. The 2011 Brisbane floods and the Townsville floods, I think that was 2017, 18, I can't remember. But both of those events, um, I mean, the Brisbane floods, we pretty much got given an open checkbook and they'd say, all right, just go do it. Uh, mm-hmm. And then when the Townsville floods came, they started dictating the rates because they collected data from the, from the Brisbane one. Mm-hmm. So they know how much things should cost and they do all of this stuff up front. You don't just get an open checkbook anymore, mm. which is good. It's, it's fair. It's fair yeah. for everyone, you know. Yeah. And so just walk me through what happens. So there's a flood. Just give me your sort of typical job that you're doing at the moment. To- so, I mean, we're doing all the low-lying areas, Casino, Lismore, uh, Wardell, all of these kind of areas. And I think... I think it comes down to the homeowner's negotiations with the insurance company mm-hmm. as I mean, some of them we did straight off the bat within two months of the floods happening, they were stripped out and they were getting reinstated. Then there's other ones that will sit there for a year and a half or they go backwards and backwards and forwards in their disputes or whatever they're doing. So the ones that we're dealing with at the moment are people who are trying to get back into their homes and reinstate quickly. Right. So you're going in and what's stripping out any asbestos and, yeah. They, re- they rebuild, is that because that the floods have damaged the, the yeah. material? Yep. So, I mean, it's also because they need to do structural assessments and okay. in order to do that, they need to be able to access it. And so they do structural drying, mould remediation, um, all their engineering assessments they do sort of after we've gone through and made it safe. There's two parts of it. There's making it safe, which is, I mean, there is real no real way to make it safe, but um, the other part is the removal. So we, so we, we team up with hygienists and um, LAAs and we'll connect them with our clients. The clients will call them, get them to go out and do all of the preliminary scoping. So they'll develop reports for every house and da 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 And if they're good, they'll have quantities and all of that on there, which makes our estimating stage a lot easier. Um, but once they've done all those assessments, they'll just give us small packages, say five or six properties, go do yeah. those. When we get close to the end, they'll give us another little package. Yeah, um, yeah. 
So how big, how big's your core team? That that's oh, we've on. had six guys. So we've got yeah, six right. guys, all seniors. When we need um, extra bodies on the ground, we get labour hire. Yep. We've, yep. Our business model is a little bit different. We sort of focus on investing in senior staff. Yeah, you know, proper competent technicians because one supervisor can run four or five guys quite easily. Doesn't matter if they've got experience or not. Oh, I see what you're saying. So with your t- core team of six, you could be working on six, six different jobs, six yep. different jobs at a, at a time. And and what is it? What's your typical job like to remediate? I know it's probably a tricky question, but is there an average amount of time that it would take for a, a resi house? Yes, or? there's everything from, you know, one or two day jobs to two week jobs. Yeah, right. Uh, it really okay. just depends on depends the Depends on the extent of the damage, I guess. So. Yeah. So some properties, I mean, a lot of what we've been finding up here are people who have gone in and jumped the gun and they've tried to strip out their own property and all they've done is turn bonded materials into friable. Oh, no. So where, I mean, oh, one example was one of the demolition companies um, actually sent some guys to go and remove, you know, some do an internal strip out, a normal general demolition strip out of a house. And they went around the whole house at 1.2 metres with a grinder and cut asbestos right through, contaminated the entire place, friable dust. Oh. Um, and they, the owners of their property had a newborn baby, two days old. They're living in the shed in the winter, freezing, you know, and their house is perfectly good to move back into except – it's contaminated with friable dust now. Oh, no. So all of these things have been happening. We've had jobs. We turn up to go do, you know, a sunroom, and then we see that the whole house is contaminated with ACD from a previous removal, and now we can't walk away from it. So it is a real mixed bag. But mm. we are finding that a lot of people have tried to, tried to relocate themselves back into their homes, and they've actually yep. ended up prolonging the process. Oh, it's really, I mean, it's, it must be so hard because, you know, you've got all that emotional stress of what's, you've lost your house or your house is severely damaged. And then you think you're just innocently trying to do the right thing and trying to get your family back into home. And yeah. it can be yeah. all these unintended consequences, it sounds like. Yeah, you end up overcomplicating it and extending it, you know. Yeah. So um, one other thing that's been quite difficult to manage is that the, is, is the people. I mean, we're getting abused regularly oh, yeah, because yeah. people just, yeah, they're, they're at the wits end and yeah. it's not our fault. I mean, we're always going to be um, impartial. We're not going to get emotionally involved in their project. Yeah. But I mean, we've had guys rock up and abuse supervisors and pull air monitors off fences and all of this sort of stuff where they not probably don't have good communication lines with the insurers and they don't know what's going on. They just rock up and these guys in suits and masks, you know, they freak right. out. Right. right. So we have had you know, issues with, with that as well. Yeah. Uh, everyone's just sat there. They're sort of strung out. They're strung out, they're stressed, and they're over it. Yeah, yeah. And and they've had, you know, preceding this couple of years of COVID and it's just yeah. on and on and on, isn't it? It's like... Perfect storm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so sounds like you're going to be up in northern New South Wales for a while then, mate. Is it... Uh... Yeah, well, we're, we're estimating a minimum six to 12 months. Yeah. Uh, we've had challenges finding accommodation because obviously those people who are displaced are taking priority. Yep. We've just been using Airbnbs and that's not sustainable long-term with the cost of them, you know? So we are still trying to get established and still trying to secure leases and all that sort of thing to be here for the long-term and hopefully be able to make a difference, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So what's the, um, what are the future plans for the business then? Um, so you're, you must be about what, mid thirties now or? Yeah. 35. 35. Yeah. Um, 
you know, are you, not- are you young? Are you young, Tim, for an asbestos removalist? With my for my job description, I'd say so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I mean, you've got a hell of a lot of experience under your belt, and mm. um, I yeah. mean, I, 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 I would think that you know, I think some of the builders that have been in it forever, and but I guess you bring a fresh approach to how yeah. to get the work done. So yeah, we try to be as energetic as possible. You know, we yep. try to have create a good experience for people. I mean, we're still human. We're still affected by all of the things that affect you on jobs and yep. you know, in life. Yep. But, um, yeah, I think we're just going to keep powering forward. And, you know, this is the second, my second run at business. And I, when I started this business, I told myself that if this one went down for any reason, um, that I would leave the industry and go do something completely different. And I'm going to stick by that, but we're going to push it as hard yep. as we can. Wheels fall off. Because like I said, it's, you just never know what's coming. You never know nah. what's coming. We've seen we've seen massive, big, organised companies go under, yeah, you know, overnight. And we're doing high risk work in a high risk environment with clients who don't like to pay. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, you know, we're right in the thick of it, and I think we're just going to spend the next sort of twelve to twenty four months just buying more gear, investing back in the business, and hmm. just trying to control growth rather than try and take every job that lands. You know. Yeah, well, I guess that's the risk, isn't it? If you leverage, you go too much. I guess the temptation would be to expand with all this work there, but then if it yeah. dries up, you've left with a whole you heap left of big bills. Yeah, big bills. Yeah, no yeah. projects. So that's yeah. our that's our plan. Slow, and, slow and steady approach and steady. might be might be the way to go. Slow and steady. Pick our clients. We don't want to have debts, you know, everywhere where people haven't paid. We don't want to be messy like that. We're just going to do good work for good. people people and just keep rolling and see what happens. Yep. That's basically the game plan. That's a, That sounds awesome. So, Tim, mm. if people want to get in contact um, with you, uh, do you have a website or how's the best way for yeah, people? Yeah, so to- www.shservices.com.au. I do um, free consulting as well. We do the training. We do all sorts of stuff. Um, but if people have got projects that they're just unsure of, they can reach out to me, tim at shservices.com.au. Yeah, and you know we'll get the chat going, get the ball rolling, and if they choose to go with us, cool. If not, that's cool too. But we just want people to be safe out there, you know, yeah. hire professionals, and just do the right thing. That's what we're after. Yeah, well, like all goes back to what you're saying, trying to trying to write, uh, raise the profession, you know, the professional nature of your industry, and and uh, make it a better experience for everyone. That's it. That's it. Good on you, Tim. Thanks so much for. Um, letting us know what you're up to. It sounds, um, sounds like very interesting times at, at yeah. the least. So. All good. And thanks, thanks for having me, Brendan. It's good to see you again. You've been listening to an ohs.com.au production. I hope you've been enjoying listening to the podcast. If you are, it would be great if you could help us out by leaving us a review and sharing this with friends and colleagues.